How are we all today? I trust that as we come to this very familiar story, that actually our hearts and our minds are open to hear what God wants to say to us today. He doesn't want us to tell him what we know about this. He wants us to be listening for today, for our circumstances. It's very easy with scripture we know so well to kind of just switch off and go, I know it. And that stops the Spirit of God doing his thing. Years ago, two psychologists from Princeton University in America asked a group of seminary students, and if my memory is right, there was about 60 students who were to give a talk to their professors, one at a time. And some students were given the story of the Good Samaritan to talk about, and others were asked how they thought Christian ministry, because they were training to be pastors, would help in daily life. They didn't have much time to prepare their talks, And then half of the students were told to hurry across the campus to where their professors were because they were running late to tell the professors their story and they didn't want to be late. But on the way to give their talks, they all encountered a man slumped in an alleyway in the university campus. He was distressed and moaning and crying out for help. But who would stop to help him? Who would stop to be a neighbour? One would hope that all of them would stop. After all, they were all training for ministry. And some of them had just read the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, some of them did stop, but more of them didn't, mostly because they were in too much of a hurry. We can be committed to helping people have just read the story of the Good Samaritan but we can actually fail to live out those beliefs and those values five minutes later. So let's turn to what I want to call the compassionate Samaritan rather than the good Samaritan, the compassionate Samaritan. So this expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, rabbi, he asked, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. Now, an expert in the law is not a barrister or a criminal lawyer as we might see on TV shows like Law and Order. He's an expert in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Leviticus, and so on. If you like, we'd call him a professor of Old Testament today. And the lawyer had an ulterior motive because we read that he came to test Jesus. In other words, the expert in the law already knows the answer to his question. That's what it really means. But he wants to know if Jesus knows the answer because Jesus is an upstart teacher and rabbi. It's as if the lawyer is saying, I'm the official Bible teacher around here. I'm the official scholar who knows the five books, the first five books of the Bible. Jesus has no credentials. He's got no certificate hanging on the wall of his study telling everybody that he's a master teacher of the law. And so the lawyer, by um, coming to test Jesus, is giving this new upstart rabbi a chance to prove that he's okay. That's the test. 
And then we have this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Is that what you do to get your inheritance? Have to do something? No. It's a strange question because an inheritance is something you receive as an heir. It's something you receive because you have a relationship with somebody. And first century Jews already had a place in God's kingdom. They didn't have to earn their way there. They were God's chosen people, his treasured possession. God chose them, it tells us in Deuteronomy 7, 6. They belonged. And they, their guarantee was that they would inherit life in the age to come. So I want to suggest to you that we should hear the question this way. What are the signs that reveal that I'm one of God's people? What are the signs that reveal that I belong to the covenant people of God? So Jesus, what are those signs that would let anybody know that me, this expert lawyer, belongs to the people of God? And you see, he wanted to ask this question of, of Jesus because Jesus, in the lawyer's mind, was very inappropriate in his behavior by hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners and Gentiles and the like. Thus indicating, as I've said on several occasions here, that they could well be inheritors of the kingdom of God. And that's just not possible. They're not Jews. So he asks the question and Jesus says, well, hang on a minute. You tell me, what's written in the law? How do you read it, Mr. Expert? He didn't say that a little bit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Any Jew would have given that answer in the first century, particular an expert in the law. Straight out of the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus put together. It's the same summary that Jesus gave on several occasions. Remember when he was asked, how do you summarise the law? This is what it is. So he says to Jesus, uh, uh, the, Jesus says to this lawyer, well done, spot on, now do this and you will live. Do this and you will show that you've inherited the kingdom of God. The lawyer was stopped in his tracks. I must continually love God and my neighbor with the totality of all that I am to show that I'm a member of the covenant family of God. That's impossible. And I reckon he's probably standing there going, I shouldn't have messed with Jesus. Scratching his head, and how do I get out of this one? I still need to prove myself. I still need to prove I'm this expert in the law. I know what I'll do. This word neighbor, it needs some definition. Someone needs to tell me who my neighbor is and who my neighbor isn't. Who's in? Who's out? Who I need to look after and who I don't need to look after. So he asked Jesus, Hey, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Of course, he knew the answer, a fellow Israelite. That's who the neighbor was in that tape to a Jew. He's one of my same kind, an Israelite. And for many of these guys, it was a respectable Israelite at that, not just a humdrum one. 
He'd seen Jesus drawing the boundary in the wrong places, hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, Gentiles and the like. Come on, Jesus, tell me who my neighbour is. Who's in, who's out? And that's when we get this great story. It's the answer to that question. Begins with a man lying in a ditch in desperate need. The situation was not uncommon along the 30 kilometres of road which goes literally down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the road passed through very treacherous country. There were narrow passageways and da dangerous precipices. It was an ideal place for thieves and bandits to ambush lonely travellers. And the thugs beat the man to a pulp, robbed him, stripped him and deserted him. They left him all alone in the ditch. And as he lay dying, a priest and a Levite, both respected religious leaders of the Jewish faith, came in, in turn, to that crime scene. These were just the kind of people the listeners would have expected to stop and help. Sadly, they did nothing except pass on by. Amazingly, these men had just been in Jerusalem worshipping God in the temple. But when they got on the road, they failed to keep the law of neighbour love. There's been a lot written about why these men failed to stop and help. Please read the text. doesn't tell us because I think we're meant to see that they didn't stop and help. You've probably got a whole lot of stories going around your head and about why. That, that's not the point of this story. They'd been at worship and they didn't stop and help. They were inactive. They simply failed to do anything for the man lying in the ditch. And their inaction begs the question that the lawyer asked Jesus, do you belong to the people of God? Their inaction begs that question. Have you inherited eternal life? It begs that question of the priest and the Levite. And at this point in the story, the listeners might well have expected that now an ordinary Israelite layperson would come along the road. No, Jesus adds a twist to this story. You see a hated and despised Samaritan was about the last person any Jew would expect to stop and help. Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other for centuries. These are the people from whom no Jew would expect mercy. To a Jew, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. No such thing. But this Samaritan defies all expectations. He draws near to the man in the ditch. He risks his own safety. He touches the man's wounds. He cleans the wounds with wine. He soothes the pain with healing oil. He rips off some of his own clothing, tears up bandages and binds up the wounds of the man in the ditch, places him on his donkey and takes him off to safety to an inn down the road. He pays an innkeeper to nurse him back to health and says to the innkeeper, I'll come back again in a few days and if it's cost more, I'll give you it's a story that's about compassion or mercy the Samaritan man had compassion and he acted on his compassion and it's that compassionate action 
that leads to the condemnation of the inactivity of the priest and the Levite. So the question at the end of the parable that Jesus asks is this, which of these three, priest, Levite, Samaritan, do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the lawyer says, the one who had mercy on him. If we look at this story carefully, it turns out that the Samaritan was the one who showed that he belonged to the people of God by his compassionate action. How radical is Jesus? He turns things right on the head. He does it all the time. That's why I'm just picking a few stories out of Luke's gospel at the moment. So... In this story, Jesus turns the original question from who is my neighbour? Who's in? Who's out? Who can I leave there and who can I help? To am I a neighbour? It's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. Am I a neighbour in the sense of this story? Helping someone in need. Am I? Are you? The kind of neighbours who extend the compassionate love of God to those in need, thus showing that we belong to the family of God, the covenant people of God. She's a biting story. Or are we a bit more like the expert in the law than we'd like to be? Have we drawn boundaries to determine who's in and who's out? After all, we can't help everyone. We have to draw the line somewhere. Sometimes we may draw the line along ethnic, racial and cultural boundaries, excluding people who are different to us. Sometimes we draw it along religious lines, excluding others from a different faith, perhaps a Muslim or a Hindu, or excluding others who don't believe like us Baptists. It still goes on. Or exclude those who don't have faith at all out of my neighbor box sometimes we draw the boundary along social lines making a distinction between the deserving and the undeserving poor you got yourself in that mess out but you deserve sometimes we draw the boundary along sexual lines excluding LGBTQI Sometimes it comes down to making those who are divorced feel like lepers or single mums. And sometimes we simply exclude people because their problems seem too big for us to handle. Wherever we draw the line, we actually find the, logic, the lawyer's logic compelling. We actually take sides with him if we're drawing lines. We find his logic compelling. Who's in? Who's out? Oh, and we must make choices in life. Our love has to have limits. Only certain people can qualify to be our neighbours. Which of these three do you think was the neighbour to a man who fell among the robbers? The one who had mercy on him. Am I a neighbour? Are you a neighbour? Does my compassionate doing reflect 
the character of God. Will we use the God-given revelation of love and grace we have to extend compassionate love to whoever? N.T. Wright must be famous. Bishop in England, very, very well known. No church, no Christian can remain content with easy definitions of neighbour which allow us to watch most of the world lying half dead in the road. It's a really hard-hitting statement. See, the neighbour can be somewhere across the world as well. Now, hear me carefully here, and I'll pick this up again in a moment. We're not being called to perfection in this life. We're being asked to consider whether we are compassionate thus revealing that we belong to a compassionate and loving God. In my preparation this week, I read this. I'd never seen it before, and it's caused a lot of reflection. The Samaritan has become a neighbor through his compassionate action. That's what I'm summarizing all of that. He's become a neighbor because of his compassionate action. But integral to this concrete action has been his own seeing of the situation from the victim's point of view. He sees the perspective of the wounded man and compassionate action flows. I found that a really stimulating thing to reflect on. The lawyer is challenged by Jesus to take up precisely this victim's perspective as he is called to love his neighbor as himself. So it's even more about the victim than it is about the compassionate Samaritan. The question then becomes who needs mercy? (laughs) So we need to take another view. What does it look like from the ditch? What's it look like to be the wounded person in the ditch? The half-dead, beaten-up man left lying in the ditch by a group of thugs. What's it look like for him? Now, our Bible reading actually assumed he was a Jew. Can I tell you that the text does not, and I think Jesus just said a man went down the road because he didn't want to identify anything. So let's just pretend that man in the ditch was a Jew, but the Bible actually just says a man, all right? So we can't draw any racial or social lines. Jesus is very clever. So let's assume he was a Jew, though, as commentators do and as that Bible reading did. He's unidentified in the story. He's kind of going in and out of consciousness, lying there in a ditch, and he's praying. If he's a Jew, God, help me. God, please do something for me. Please don't leave me here to die. And a priest happens to come on by down that fairly lonely road. Oh, thank you, God, for answering my prayers. You've sent someone to help me. But the priest walks on by. You're the man in the ditch. Oh, here comes another trap. Oh, it's a Levite. I can recognize that by his clothes. Oh God, you are so good to me. Thanks for sending someone to help me. But he walked on by, just like the priest. Oh Lord, please help me. 
please send somebody who's going to stop and help me. I don't want to die all alone in this ditch. Don't leave me here to die. And the man in the ditch hears some more footsteps. He recognises the person as a Samaritan. Walk on by, mate, and I'll wait for the next one. That's if it's a Jew in the ditch, because they hated Samaritans. <laughs> Turn this perspective around and it messes with you. Really messes with you. It's what Jesus is about in a sense. What happens? The Samaritan stops. Sees the desperate need of the half-dead man. Puts himself in the shoes of that man in the ditch. And his compassion leads to action. Compassion is the only motivation we need to show that we're a neighbour. To show that we've seen the needs of the person in the ditch. An interesting thing I discovered uh, several years ago in, in looking at this story and this word compassion is that the only time it is used uh, in the New Testament it is used of Jesus or of someone who reflects the character of God. The waiting father, remember that story? Not the lost son, the waiting father reflected the compassion of God. And here we have the Samaritan reflecting the compassion of God. It's a Samaritan, not a priest, not a Levite. So the question is not who is my neighbour, but am I a neighbour who sees the needs of the person in the ditch? Can we ever look from the perspective of the person in the ditch? As I was walking this week, and it wasn't until Saturday morning, I usually got my messages fairly complete, but I wasn't this week because I was struggling with some of this stuff that was hitting me personally. So as I was walking yesterday morning and throwing this stuff around and meditating on this view from the ditch, I realized that all too often I fail to be a neighbor to someone in the ditch. And sometimes that's deliberate. I will walk on by like the priest and the Levite. Sometimes I just don't see the need because I don't put myself in the shoes of the one in the ditch. And I've failed to go and do likewise. Just like those seminary students at Princeton Uni, this pastor does it sometimes. The blessing was that in my walk yesterday, it drove me to the grace and mercy of God. So if you're feeling a bit like, oh, I haven't gone and done likewise, Maybe how this all ended up for me will help you. It drove me to the grace and mercy of God because as I was walking there, I discovered how desperate and naked and left for dead I really am. I discovered that I'm actually a really broken person lying in a ditch. That's why I struggle to do go thou and do likewise. There is no way to justify myself. 
I can't actually do a single thing to inherit eternal life if we put this parable in its context. That unless someone has mercy on me, extravagant, sacrificial compassion, unless Jesus, the compassionate Son of the Father, happens by a jar brimming with oil in his hand, pocket stuffed with coins to pay the innkeeper, and he stops, I'm as well as good and dead. That's what hit me yesterday. So to be compassionate, you and I need to keep walking closely with our good and compassionate God who turns up for us, our wild and holy God, as I say sometimes, so that we can see those around us who need mercy, who need our neighborly touch. And as I was coming to the end of my walk, this this verse from John 1.14, yes, I preached on it. Rob's brother, when he was here, did. I've mentioned it several times. Remember John 1 starts off, the word, word was flesh. He was God and dwelt with God from the beginning. Da, 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 da. Down to verse 14, the word became flesh. This really moved me and moved into our neighborhood. Moved into our neighborhood, it says in the message. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son. Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And that neighbor who moved into my neighborhood sees me in the ditch and has great love and compassion for me and sets me free again to step out and be a neighbor to those who lie in the ditch needing mercy we sang earlier and just went deep into my heart where sins run deep grace is even more <laughs> that's an amazing line but it's true that's why Jesus died let's pray Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that when we come to it clean and clear and willing to hear your spirit speak, that you speak to us, we thank you. And while there's a challenge, a huge, huge challenge in this passage that we might live as the compassionate people helping those in need of mercy because you've been compassionate to us when we see ourselves undone and realize we fail you come to us as the true neighbor and touch us afresh and anew with your grace and your love and help us back on our feet to try all over again in your strength thank you for being our compassionate Father, thank you for revealing yourself in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us this morning.
we bless you. Amen.